U.S. President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping will meet face-to-face this coming Wednesday in San Francisco, the fifth time in a year. Many analysts think that the Taiwan issue will be a focal point at the summit. Sino-American relations observer Bonnie Glazer says the U.S. will not make new commitments to China on the issue. A local scholar also believes that the U.S. will not make concessions because there is considerable consensus on the Taiwan issue in the U.S. at present. The key is that there will be a presidential election next year. In the coming year, I believe that the Democrats and the Republicans will compete to see who can present a tougher stance against China. On the Taiwan issue, we can see that at present, there is a consensus among the Democrats and the Republicans. For Biden's part, he is hoping that through such a direct channel, he can talk to Xi Jinping face to face about the correct interpretation of the international situation and not let Xi make any wrong assessments of it. U.S. officials have revealed that Biden will reiterate to Xi that the U.S. has no intention of changing the status quo in the Taiwan Strait, which means that the one China policy will remain unchanged. What kind of sparks will fly at the Biden-Xi meeting is something Taiwan will certainly be paying close attention to. With a serious labor shortage, Taiwan will be opening up its doors to migrant workers from India. Currently, laborers from Indonesia, Vietnam and other Southeast Asian countries make up the majority of migrant workers in Taiwan, but the demand for laborers still far exceeds the supply. To close the gap, the government will allow Indians to come work in Taiwan's manufacturing, construction, agricultural and home care sectors. India's external affairs ministry confirmed last week that the two nations are finalizing their discussions on the issue. Taiwan's labor ministry has also confirmed that an MOU will be signed as early as next month. Labor shortage is a big problem in Taiwan's industries. To combat the problem, the government is planning to open up the domestic labor market to Indian migrant workers. An MOU could be signed as early as the end of the year. Actually, there's a big market in Taiwan for caregivers. There are lots of openings, so if India wants to open this channel, then having an additional country to choose from is not a bad idea. This labor broker is optimistic about the plan. After all, in Taiwan's case, the more laborers, the merrier. Under an employment mobility agreement, an estimated 100,000 Indian migrant workers are expected to come to Taiwan and supplement manpower in the manufacturing, construction, agriculture, or home care industries in the future. The spokesman for the Indian Ministry of External Affairs also confirmed that the two sides are already in the negotiation stage. Yes, there are discussions going on. I'm afraid I can't put a time frame on it, but we hope um, that this would uh, be concluded in early date. The discussion is progressing very smoothly. We expect to arrange the signing before the end of the year at the earliest. After the signing, we will decide which sectors to open first. The Labor Ministry also pointed out that since Taiwan hasn't opened up its hospitality industry to migrant workers, domestic demand is not something being discussed. Currently, there are 740,000 migrant workers in Taiwan. Indonesia and Vietnam make up the lion's share, with more than 260,000 workers from each country, followed by the Philippines at 150,000 workers and Thailand at 60,000. 
I feel that language is very important. If you can't speak their language and there are no young people who can help out, then it'll create much inconvenience. For the country to open up to more migrant workers is a move in the right direction, according to this broker. But the accompanying training would need to be stepped up, especially in the area of communication, so as to avoid potential social problems. Being a zookeeper would be a dream job for many people, but it's a job that comes with many risks, including personal injuries. The pay for this work, which is a government job, is also not very high. Many senior zookeepers earn just over 30,000 NT a month. For nearly 30 years, zoo workers' salaries have been stagnant, but that is about to change. In January, the executive yuan is expected to implement a risk pay of between 3,000 and 5,000 NT for zookeepers, which would bring monthly salaries up to roughly 40,000 NT. Sometimes the animals we work with get spooked by noises, which could cause them to have unexpected reactions. When that happens, there is a physical danger to us. Those who care for animals encounter many different situations, which require zookeepers to work very hard. They do this job from the point of graduation all the way to retirement, and their sense of identity is strongly tied to this work, but they still earn less than 40,000 NT. We met together with the Zoo Workers Union and the Executive UN earlier this year to discuss it, and we are happy we found a solution that satisfies the needs of zookeepers and that there is a consensus on it. Other categories of workers are also expected to see benefits next year, including conservationists at Fenghuanggu Bird and Ecology Park and other public zoos in Taiwan. A supermarket chain has partnered with a Norwegian supplier to build a new salmon processing plant. It's the largest fish packaging plant in Taiwan. Every day, it processes up to a thousand salmon. Now, for the first time, FTV has been allowed onto the factory floor to find out how the fish are prepared for sale. Atlantic salmon, which recently were jumping in the seas of Norway, come out of the boxes, having flown to Taiwan. They'll be sent to Ecuador within one day. It's all about the speed and freshness of the delivery from sea to plate. From our fishes uh, swimming in the sea, it only takes two hours maximum. Then it's already in the box with the ice. Ship it straight to the airliners, flying it daily into Taiwan. <laughs> The salmon are put through an automatic descaler. It can process up to 180 salmon per hour. Some of the scales are still removed manually, as are the fins and gills. It's just been processed. Each fish weighs up to 6 kilograms. Then it has to be placed in a low-temperature bubble pool. The pool is a bit like a jacuzzi. After the fish has been in the spa for 30 seconds, all of its fine scales and mucus has been washed away. The slicing is given over to this fast slicing machine. 
The knife falls in the blink of an eye, slicing steak after steak cleanly away. Each is two to three centimeters thick. The machine can slice up to 150 salmon in one hour. Next to it is this machine, which removes the tail and head cleanly. The automated machinery produces output three times as fast as manual labor. In one factory, we can process up to 1,000 salmon a day. As the fish come in, they're in cold chain all the way through, so the products have all been refrigerated. Temperature is key to keeping fish fresh. The processing rooms are kept at 6 to 12 degrees Celsius. Finally, the fish are sealed and tested for metal contaminants. Then they can be labeled and shipped off. The factory ships 1,500 packs an hour. The company has invested 2 billion NT, optimistic about Taiwan's love of salmon. They can sell 450,000 fish a year, making a turnover of 1 billion NT. Taiwanese people love salmon. It's certainly the best-selling species in our sales range. We have salmon steaks and fillets of different parts. Next year, we predict profits to grow by another 100 million NT to reach 1.1 billion NT. This multinational corporation is focused on speed, but also ensuring quality so that Taiwan can enjoy the finest fish dishes. Fengjia University became the fifth university in the nation to complete a successful rocket launch. The launch on Sunday by the school's research team was a single-stage rocket system, which allowed the team to test key design components that would go into the development of a full-scale rocket. The team says the full-scale rocket would likely be launched at the second half of 2024. A rocket fires from a launch pad, shattering the serenity of the early morning sky. The rocket flies for 14 seconds to a height of 200 meters, sending the research team on the ground into an excited frenzy. Based on the data we just collected, our launch today reached a height of around 200 meters. That's actually quite close to what we estimated, which was 250 meters. This is all within the scope of our design and analysis, so today's results have proven to be successful. A research team from Fengjia University on Sunday successfully launched a single-stage hybrid rocket from the launch site in Shuhai Village on the coast of Pingdong County. It was a major breakthrough for the team of 22 professors and students who have been working tirelessly since the project began one year ago. Their first launch attempt on Saturday failed due to a mechanical problem with an oxidizer valve, but Sunday's follow-up attempt went off without a hitch. The most important thing for us was to verify the design of our propulsion system and engine combustion chamber and the matching of the fuel and oxidizer. We also wanted to test the structure of the rocket's fuselage as well as its navigation telemetry and control systems. This will serve as a reference for future rocket designs. Fengjia University is now the first research institution in central Taiwan to successfully launch a rocket, and the fifth nationwide to do so. The team is now one-third of the way toward building a full-scale rocket, which it plans to test in the second half of 2024. Youths in rural communities tend to head for the city where they find new opportunities and greater excitement. However, one entrepreneur who left the city life behind to return to his fishing village hopes to encourage others to follow him. Zhang Boren took over his father's fish farm, but he was not content to farm the way his father had. 
He changed the farm's management and distribution models, and now he trains other young fish farmers, even encouraging them to start their own fish farming businesses. Let's hear from Zhang and some of the youths who work with him. Our Sunday in-depth report. the chef places the uncooked shrimp in the hot frying pan. Once they start to turn red, he adds garlic, butter, salt, and pepper before placing the shrimp atop a salad. Before shrimp gets used by this high-end French restaurant, it must go through a strict selection process. It has to be high quality. That means it must be the right level of sweetness, and it must be fresh. It has to be very, very good quality before we can select it to use for our ingredients. In its pursuits for low emissions and sustainability, this restaurant buys local ingredients. To that end, he works with shrimp farmer Zhang Boren in Kaohsiung's Ni Tuo district. Since I had planned to use a shrimp, I had to try it first. The day I went there, we all tried some, and I felt it was very fresh, very delicious. I also requested of him that I could go see his farming process. His family shrimp farm was the only one that wasn't using any chemicals in its farming process. Cheng lays out freshly harvested shrimp on a counter for grading. In 2010, when he was 32 years old, Chen left a high-paying job at a pharmaceutical trading company and returned home to take over his father's shrimp farm. Having studied nutrition in college and bioengineering in graduate school, he knows the importance of food safety to the industry. To put his farming ideas into practice, Chen later left his father's farm and went out to rent a pond from another fish farmer. Contrary to traditional fish farming methods, he engages in ecologically friendly, low-density farming. The shrimp also share the pond with fish, which allows the shrimp to eat the uneaten feed left behind by the fish, and at the same time to purify the water. This ecologically friendly environment also allows Chang to obtain additional income from the fish in his pond. The fish I gather from my pond include many species that can be prepared in a variety of ways including fish steak, soup made with the bones, dishes made with the stomach or skin, fish fillet, or we can do fish collars. With just one catch from the pond, a whole product line appears. There could be between 10 and 20 products from that catch. Unlike with the traditional dealer acquisition model, Chang produces and sells his products on his own. This means he has to seek out channels to sell his fish. When I first returned to my hometown to raise fish, I often carried my products with me, delivering them and visiting customers all over the place. Ching's hard work was motivated by the challenges he saw fishing communities facing. The problems my father's generation faced in the industry were largely related to marketing. After they were finished with production, they had only one channel for distribution, which was the wholesaler. They didn't have any other options, because in selling their own products, they had no marketing network. So the power to set the prices was in someone else's hands. We met with over 1,000 fish farmers, including men and women in their 80s who had to carry 30 kilogram bags of feed by themselves. When you see that, it makes you ask, is there nobody younger in your family? Nobody stronger who can do this work? 
In response to the labor shortage in fishing communities, Chang in 2013 invited aquaculture students from the city to help out with harvesting and repair of the aerators used in the fish ponds. He aimed to create work and help the communities at the same time. Ji Peng Yi stands atop a raft, throwing a net into the pond. Ji is one of the recruits brought in by Chang to help harvest fish. His work hours are flexible, and he can earn 1,500 NT to 1,800 NT for four hours of work every day. In a month, I can earn roughly 85,000 NT. Of course, during the mullet season, I can earn more, nearly 100,000 NT. In the slow seasons, I earn around 70,000. However, working on the fish farm also involves hidden dangers. Farmers must endure cold winter temperatures and sometimes total darkness in the water. Some fish, like the mullet and the milkfish, are harvested at night when it's impossible to see anything. You might cast a net and then disappear having fallen into the water. Chang's hope is that his recruits won't just help out the fish farms, but will also consider being entrepreneurs. I train them with the skills they need like raising and harvesting the fish and maintaining the equipment. Then I teach them about the overall operations of the industry, including the management aspects. After that, they can make the choice. They can decide to work for a fish farm as an employee, or they can take the next step and create their own aquaculture business. Entrepreneurs will receive assistance through joint operations. Chang works with the National Fishermen's Association to rent ponds from retired fishers, and then provides those to the entrepreneur for free, leaving them responsible only for maintenance and feed expenses. They keep all profits. Hong Wei Jin, who previously learned fish farming from Chang, made the decision to buy a nearly 1,000 square meter fish pond and chase his dream of business ownership. I worked here continuously for six years. Toward the end, Jiang gave us the opportunity to start businesses, to give things a try on our own. At the moment, I'm just breaking even. Chang currently leases 18 ponds accounting for 7 hectares, but says that expanding that would prove quite difficult. Many farmers adhere to the traditional idea that land should be passed on to the next generation, he says. Farmers and fish farmers are all similar in that they all have one thing in common. When their time comes, they pass the land on to their sons or daughters. They give it to their own children or to other family members. Despite challenges, Chang actively pushes ahead with his ideas. Alongside one pond, he builds a cafe and invites nearby students to try their hand at catching shrimp and feeding fish. He hopes this will foster an ecological mindset. However, not everyone supports Chang's efforts to bring life to the fish farming community. The older generation feels that their decades of experience means much more than that of younger fish farmers. They feel that their experience is more significant than that of the children they raised who went off to school and who previously didn't farm fish. Cheng says his father wanted him to fully focus on raising fish and to leave the marketing to others. However, his hope is to diversify management in the industry, he says. 
如果我当初只是回来帮你过你一样的生活。If I were only planning to return home to live the same life as my father, then I may as well not have returned. To return is to seek change. For children to obtain the approval of their parents is difficult because although we don't fail, our accomplishments are never enough in their eyes. Youth who return to rural communities generally face the generation gap. But for Chang, his success is confirmed by his awards, including one from the UK-based Social Value International, making him one of the very few in Taiwan to be personally conferred the award. Chang's ideas may be odd with older fish farmers, but he hopes his efforts and perseverance will bring fresh young talent to the industry and new life to fishing communities. And finally, the 2023 Asian Television Awards nominees are out. Formosa Television has made the shortlist in nine categories this year, including Anne Hu for Best Current Affairs Presenter, Li Zhenzhen for Best News Anchor, and Hu Gua for Best Game Show Host. A story by Formosa News: The Dark Side of Taiwan's Construction Boom and Hall of Descent's report. Disabled dentists on a mission are also nominated for Best News Program and Best Single News Story, respectively. FTV also received nominations in the categories of Best Actor in a Supporting Role, Best Extended Reality Project, and Best Music Program. The winners will be announced at the awards ceremony to be held in Ho Chi Minh City in January.